this morning we're going to look at a lot of different information, but also the application of that information. And, and rather than have to go through a lot of it during the sermon, my, my goal was to give you some resources you could take home. Some things that would help you that you could look through on your own and refer to later rather than me having to go through everything this morning and have you frantically write it down. And so we're not going to go through all six pages. So, um, <laughs> John, you're thinking I still am. I, I, I heard the chuckle. I heard the chuckle. Is communication important? Yes. Okay, obvious question, right, of the day? There was a man, if we can put up the, the first slide. I don't know whether you saw this in the news. A man in Pittsburgh went away for the holidays. And when he came home, this is what he came home to. I don't know whether I, that you're like, oh, okay, a field. No, that used to be where his house was. And he went away, and, and the city had instructions to demolish a house next to his. And he was, fortunately, he was fixing up the house. All his stuff wasn't in there. The, and, and so, but the, the instructions got miscommunicated, misunderstood, and they demolished the house behind it and his house at the same time. So they did what they were supposed to do. They just got a little ambitious and did a little bit more. Communication matters. This morning we want to talk and, and finish up our section talking about God's Word and the Bible. And we're talking about communication a little bit. How is the Bible communicated in English? Now we've been through a journey in the last five, six weeks of, of answering questions about the Bible. It was interesting. I was looking at a national publication this week and they were doing surveys of churches, especially 40 and under crowd, and they were looking at the number one question or the theological and cultural questions people were asking. Two out of the top five questions dealt with, is the Bible true? How was the Bible communicated? Can we trust the different versions of the Bible that we have now? And so these are issues that are at the forefront in our colleges and in our workplaces. And, and some of you may not be experiencing that. And you're like, well, this is a settled deal. But this is a battle line right now for Christianity. This is a battle line for, for us to move forward. Is the Bible true? And so today we finish that discussion with some information about versions and translations that I hope will be helpful. And then a call to action. What do we do with all this? How do we put this into practice? But today we want to talk, how does the Bible get from, from Greek and Hebrew, the original languages, into English? What do we do with that? I want to put up another slide, and it's in your notes as well, just to give us an example of, of what happens. See, some things about language, Greek and Hebrew, are written in a way where word order doesn't matter. Each word is, is designated as a verb or a noun or, or what part of speech it is, and word order doesn't matter. And so, if we were to do a word-for-word exact translation of, of Greek to English, you may get something like this. And this is one I made up. Those of you that came to Second Harvest yesterday will understand. Harvest the second, I the day last to church went was. Because faithfulness God were great, all 40 to prayer and common lives special with box of fun. Anyone know what I said? Second harvest is the last day I went to church. <laughs> you can get that out of that. Sure. Okay. What else? What, what does it say? The last day I went to church was second harvest. 
God's, because of God's faithfulness, 40 lives, I don't know, something. <laughs> Challenging? Sort of fun. Now, you guys are coming up with some very different interpretations. One of you says, I'm not coming anymore. (laughs) (laughs) One of you said, the last time I went was this. Right? And I think that's what you were saying as well. Neither of those are what it means. (laughs) The last second harvest ever? No. Now, now for the very last phrase, the box of fun... You, anyone know what that means? Jana? A big box with a bunch of... You had to be there for that. Because they, they delivered these three big boxes on pallets with just a variety of crackers and, and cereal and junk food. It was awesome. And, and, and all this stuff. And we didn't know what to do with it, so we just called them boxes of fun. And, and, but you had to be there to understand that. And so that would be a figure of speech or, or an idiom that, that really would be appropriate to being there. Now, there, there's a couple of different ways that, that we could interpret something like this. I, I went through and put my translation. Yesterday, I went to church. Now, now, the day last doesn't mean that the last time I went, but I was using it to refer to yesterday. The day last. Does it make sense? But it may not make sense if we don't understand that as a figure of speech and if we don't see that as a chunk. Yesterday I went to church as there was second harvest. Because of God's great faithfulness, the 40 that were there had a special time of prayer and community and had box of fun. That just was added on at the end because we had fun with box of fun. Do you see, do you see where I got that from that? Do you, do you see the difference? And this morning, I hope that that helps us understand a little bit what we're talking about when we talk about different versions of the English Bible. Translation is not always easy. It's not always word for word. Now, a translation like this is something that we would call an interlinear, where we literally take every word from the Greek or every word from the Hebrew and do a corresponding word in the exact same word order. Interlinears are very hard to read and very hard to make sense of, because you have to see it in, in a bigger picture. But none of your Bibles read like that. Praise God. Right? Because you'd put it down and you'd be like, you're crazy for asking us to read this. Instead of a two-year reading plan, we'd have like a 20-year reading plan, and we'd do a verse at a time and try to figure it out. But God did not intend His Word to be difficult to read. He may have intended the concepts to be something to be struggled with and difficult to grasp and something we work our whole life in understanding. But he did not intend his word to be difficult to read. And and in the original, in the Greek, in the Hebrew, the people that read it were able to read it as letters to their church and were able to read it as something they could understand. And so the translators today have tried to do the same thing into English. How do we make God's word understandable? Just for fun, as a poll, I'd like to see what versions people brought this morning. Some of you bring Bibles, which is great. I encourage you to. How many of you have NIV this morning? Lots of hands, okay? Anyone with um, New American Standard this morning? Okay, a number of hands. Anyone with ESV this morning? A handful of hands. (laughs) Sort of a figure of speech again. Um, How many of you brought King James this morning? Okay, we have a few King James. 
New King James. Okay, a few of those. Any that I'm missing? The Living Bible or the New Living Bible. There's two different versions of that. Today's English version. So we have a number of different versions. So today we'll tell you which of you are right. I'm not going to finish that. Yeah, Phil's like, don't go there. <laughs> the title this morning is Wading In. And a little bit because this is a topic that's hard to wade in on. Um, both how we apply it and how we understand versions. Because everyone has their favorite version. Everyone is sold on their favorite version. And, and people are often committed that their version is right. And the other versions are wrong. And those people just need to, to get over it and come to my version. This morning we're going to see that that's not necessarily the case. And we understand that different versions are used in different ways. And like I said, I've given you resources, so we're going to fly through some of this. If you want more information, you can ask questions, you can do some research, I can recommend some books. But um, just to fly through this, because I want to get to how we put it into practice this morning and really understand that. But why different translations? And hopefully already I've shown you that in some visual ways that we can understand. But two different things that I have in your notes there. The English language changes. The English language language changes. Just say that a number of times fast. Those of you that, that are 50 or over, has the language changed since the time you were a teenager? Drastically, right? There's words that are used that mean completely different things now. Mouse <laughs> means something completely different. And, and there's a whole number of words like that. In fact, in, in, every 10 years, the Webster's Dictionary makes about 100,000 changes and adds 10,000 new words. The English language changes. If we're to communicate God's Word clearly, we need to make sure that we are using the English that, that people will, in the way that people are using it, in the way people will understand. In light of that, we do have different translations. Some are older, some that used English that we used 30, 40, or 400 years ago. Some that use current language. Some of the translators, and I would agree with them, say that uh, any translation that we have should actually be updated regularly. Some say about every 30 years. I would argue about every 15 to 20 years. A translation should be updated to reflect current English usage because we need to be clear in how we're presenting God's Word. God's Word doesn't change. English changes. The other reason for different, different versions is there are different philosophies of translations. There's different ways to translate. There's different ways to, to take the, the Greek and to take the Hebrew and put it into English. And I'll give you, I, I think I give you a chart in your notes there. That again, we're not going to look through that chart in its entirety, but give you enough information to understand that. Because that gives us the three different ways of translating God's Word. Word for word, thought for thought, or paraphrase. Word for word, thought for thought, or paraphrase. And in word-for-word translation, sometimes it's called a literal translation or a formal equivalence, the attempt is to take each word in the Greek and Hebrew and translate it into a corresponding English word with the best meaning. 
Now, in a literal word-for-word translation, they do have to change word order. Otherwise, it's an interlinear and it's unreadable. And so it's not completely literal. It's what we would call essentially literal. Where as much as possible, we keep the word order the same. Now, when you do that, you can imagine some of the strengths. Some of the strengths is you, you tend to get a better understanding of the exact words that were used by the author. And we believe that God's word is inspired down to the very word. Amen? Down to the very word. And so an essentially literal translation gives us an opportunity to see those very words. Now, the, the other side of that and one of the criticisms of that style of translation is you can get a translation that is difficult to read verbally sometimes or to understand because the sentence structure is a little bit convoluted at times. Now, the question is, is that worth it to see the original author's intent and to see their tone? And I would argue, yes, it is. And as these translations have come out, they've attempted to, to take some of those those idioms and take some of that word order and make it as readable as possible while still maintaining the original author's intent. That's a lot of work. And as you'll see at the chart at the very end, these translations, very few were done by one or two men and women. They were done by scholars, a hundred plus scholars sometimes, with multiple review processes and multiple submissions. It's, it's a difficult task. Now, even the essentially literal translations will interpret some of the phrases for us. If you remember in in Nehemiah, one of the phrases that is in the original Hebrew was, he was hot in the nose. Remember that? He was hot in the nose. What did it mean? Angry. Yeah, snorting mad. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) He was furious. And And it was one of the strongest phrases for anger they could use. Now, now, I don't know of any translation that translates it hot in the nose. Because you're like, he ate chilies? He, he, what does that mean? And so, there are always some of those under, some of those, um, interpretive decisions that are being made, and it's appropriate to say he was furious. He was angry. Because that is what the author meant there. And that's something that would be sort of like boxo fun. Okay, how do we, how do we translate that? The best literal translations, I believe, also attempt to keep the theological language. Some of the other translations, the thought for thought, and especially the paraphrase, have said, well, well, people don't understand what redemption and sanctification and propitiation are, so, so let's just rename those. And I think that's a grave mistake because we are losing the foundations of what God was trying to communicate. And we can explain those things and we can understand those things. But if it comes to terms like, okay, making sure we understand what kind of mouse it is, and, and the Bible doesn't talk about the mouse on your computer, but um, if those type of decisions are good to update and good to make sure we have clear. So that's a word-for-word or essentially literal translation. Some examples of that are New American Standard Bible that was originally translated in 1963 and 1970, New Testament and Old Testament, but then was updated in 1995 to to reflect current English usage. Some other examples that you see on the chart are the ESV, the King James Version, and the New King James Version. And those are are also word-for-word essentially literal. Even though the King James is much older language, and the New King James has tried to update that, Those are essentially word-for-word translations. I think we do need to take care with those two translations 
because they're based on a different text than all of the other translations, and we can get into that at a different time. But um, they're, they're based on a much newer text rather than text that reflects more the original authors. And so that's something that we just want to take care, but it doesn't negate the effectiveness of those versions. And on your chart, you see that's the word for word on the left side. You see all the way to the left is the interlinear. That's the really straight, difficult one to understand. Middle section on your, thought is th- on your chart is thought for thought. Or we might call this a dynamic equivalence. Where in a thought for thought, the, the interpreters would look at a phrase that the author would say and try to come up with a corresponding phrase in English. Something that would understand, that, that would be more understandable. An example of that in that first example would be the day last. Okay? The day last, you're like, well, okay, I have no idea what that means. But if you think about it, it makes sense. And in a word for word, that probably would still be, be translated as the day before today or the day that, that was, was last. Whereas in a thought for thought translation, that often would be just translated yesterday. And so they, they tend to take the whole thought and try to put it into an equivalent thought in English. There is value for thought-for-thought thought translation as well. I've seen arguments between these two camps. I've, I've been through arguments between these through cam- two camps at seminary and read books and articles. But there's value between word-for-word word and thought-for-thought. Thought. Because thought-for-thought thought sometimes catches things that we don't understand because in the original language it meant something different. An example of thought for thought would be the NIV that we have used here at Village for for many years in our um, Sunday morning service. The, The New International Version attempts to make it more readable. And so it uses language that flows a little bit more. A word for word translation won't flow quite as well, but a thought for thought flows very well. Now, I will say, the NIV and the ESV and the New American Standard, all of them have excellent scholarship behind them. All of them have more than a hundred, well, the, the NIV and the ESV have more than a hundred scholars that worked on it. Um, the, they went through rigorous procedurals, um, steps to make sure that they, they were attempting to come up with the accurate copy in English of the Word of God. The danger of a thought-for-thought translation is because you are making some more interpretive decisions, it's much easier to let your own little bias slip in there. Just just much easier. Um, When we go on Yugo trips or missions trips, we we always have an interpreter because we're we're speaking in Spanish. And uh, it's not uncommon that the Reyes will be along. I don't don't see Coco this morning, but... um, the raises will be along and, you know, maybe I'll say two sentences and, and look over and she'll do the translation in like three words and she's done. Like, or, you know, maybe I'll say three words and then she goes for, for ten minutes. On, no, that's, you know, a number of sentences. And she's doing a thought-for-thought translation because in that setting that's appropriate and trying to help people understand in Spanish because not all the concepts are equivalent. So some examples of thought-for-thought or dynamic equivalents are the NIV I mentioned, the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's a a recent Bible done just this last decade. Excellent Bible that attempts to balance thought-for-thought and word-for-word. 
New English Bible is in this camp. The New Living Translation is in this camp. Finally, the last section is paraphrase. The last strategy of interpreting God's Word. And in a paraphrase, sometimes it's one man, sometimes it's, it's a couple of scholars. They read the originals, or in some cases they don't even go back to the originals. They read one of the other English versions, and they write what they think it means. And so understand this. A paraphrase is not God's Word. A paraphrase is a man's commentary. And people get confused about that. And that would include the Living Bible. That would include the Message. I don't recommend either of those as a source for God's Word. They can be interesting reading to see what one man thinks God's Word means. But I would strongly urge you to never use those as God's Word. They are supplementary tools. And so I'm not even going to spend a lot of time on that because the word for word and thought for thought, those are valid translations. Those are translations that have attempted to go back to the original languages and to give us God's Word in English that we can understand. Make it through the jet tour? Hopefully that helps. I, I get so many questions about versions and translations. couple of thoughts. Okay, which one do you use? Which one's right? <laughs> Okay, we're already going on which one's right. On the back two pages, I give you a number of versions and a number of translations and some stats on there, how many scholars they used, what their target audience was, what the readability level is. And here's what I would recommend. And there's a number of them that you see in yellow, VBC recommended. I would recommend any of those. You see a couple in red. I would encourage you to stay away from those. Um, the, the ones in yellow, and, and what, I, what I usually recommend to people, is I recommend getting a couple different versions. A couple different versions. I prefer a word-for-word Bible in my study, because I can actually read it and understand what the original was. And God inspired every word, and so it's helpful for you to see what words are important and what words were stressed. And so I prefer a word-for-word. I would recommend either New American Standard or the ESV in that category, with a highly recommended on ESV. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I also enjoy a thought-for-thought just to read. And so sometimes if, if I'm just doing reading through a whole text... And I, and I want to start by getting the flow of it. I'll, I'll often start with a thought for thought. And I use NIV right now, but um, the Holman the Holman Bible is an excellent Bible that people are starting to go to for a thought for thought that is a little bit more like a word for word, but it really is readable and and easy to understand. Another one that I would recommend for a thought for thought as a supplementary study is the New Living Translation. And in the New Living Translation, they have an intentional, intentionally gone back to the original languages and worked to create a translation rather than a paraphrase. And so it is, it's, a, it's a good supplementary reading to help you understand. I love using two different versions because you get a better feel for the text. You get a better feel for what the words mean, for the range of meaning. So those are some of the things that I would recommend. You can trust 
any of those that we've recommended. They are good scholarship. They hold true to God's Word. But just by, by way of letting you know of something coming up, this year, the NIV is going through a revision. And they did that in about 2005. They came out with today's NIV. And they published the NIV and today's NIV at the same time. And there was all kinds of debate because the today's NIV really went beyond thought for thought, in my opinion. It, it went to some interpretive decisions. And their, their goal was to make a Bible that was acceptable to everybody. The Bible won't be acceptable to everybody because it contains truth about sin and truth. And we need to hold to that. And so the, the TNIV went, went too far on, on issues of trying to be gender neutral and trying not to offend. And, and go, it went beyond what the original languages were, what the inspired Word of God was. This year the NIV is coming out and it will be published in March of this year. And they already have texts of it online. And what they've done is they've incorporated the TNIV into the NIV and many of the changes they're bringing together. And again, I believe they've gone too far. And I, I believe they've gone beyond God's Word and beyond the original of God's Word. Now, there are a number of, of godly men and women that have worked on this. And a number of verses I actually like better that they're, they're translating as, as I've read a, a number of passages in it. But then there's some issues that are more controversial issues that again... They, they attempted to take a stand that would not offend and to create a Bible that would be appropriate for all denominations and, and create a Bible that everyone could agree on because what they did is they chose wordings for things like a, a, a woman will not assume authority in a church. And I know I'm, I'm treading where angels fear to tread right now. Um, that a woman will not exercise authority in the church. And the original Greek is pretty clear and they've chosen wording that basically allows anything in the church and, and, and allows you to interpret that however you want. And they even say that, that we recognize that people have different interpretations here, so we're choosing a wording that allows for different interpretations. And that concerns me because I think we choose wordings based on what the inspired Word of God says, whether we agree with it or not. That's what it means that it's the inspired Word of God. Now, so you know, that's going to be published in March of this year, and it's going to be published under the name NIV. They will stop publishing the regular NIV, and they, it, it's not going to be a big deal, it's just the new copies are going to be the new revision. Good to know, isn't it? <laughs> and so as a church, we will actually be moving away from the NIV in our Sunday morning services. And I know that most of you have them, and we've used them for, for many years. And the copies of NIV you have, I would hold on to and use those for your study and for your reading. But as a church, we'll be moving to ESV. And starting with the, the Gospel of Mark, which is our next series, I'll be preaching out of the ESV. I've read a, a, a number of passages. In fact, through the whole First John series that we did, I studied in both ESV, NIV, and New American Standard in all three of them. I'm very comfortable with the choices they have made and the scholarship behind that version. And so, I'm not selling anything. You can't buy any Bibles through me. But I would recommend sometime this year, consider adding an ESV to your library. Um, it is a wonderful word-for-word -word translation that is still readable. And the scholarship is, is wonderful that they've gone back and we understand the Greek a little better now and the Hebrew a little better now. 
So, so I would consider that. But I wanted to let you know that instead of just coming on Sunday and saying, wait a minute, that's not what my Bible says anymore. And thinking that I'm just, I've just gone off to left field somewhere. That's the rationale. And again, if you'd like more information, we can talk about that in depth. But, um, that is a, a change we will be making. Doesn't mean you still can't bring your NIVs and, and you'll be able to follow along and, and some of the other versions that you use. Um, but you'll see on the chart that ESV is a little closer to New American Standard. Those of you that are bringing those will suddenly find a little more common ground and uh, or to, um, to be able to follow along with. And that's a change that we will be making. So these things are, are good things to be aware of. Good things to know about. But let's move on from all the, the details about translations. And in the last 20, 25 minutes, I'd like to just swear we've been and, and not so much summarize, but to say, okay, since we, we've learned that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, we've discussed proofs of that. The Bible is the authoritative Word of God, and it's sufficient for life. It contains everything I need to live a godly life. What do I do with that? And we could just say, oh, that's great information and put our Bible on the, the coffee table at home and dust it off every Sunday and, and we're good. But we have to do something with it. When we got out the Christmas decorations out of our shed and, and, and um, we have a shed for our Christmas decorations. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where to go with that. But one of the things I had to move to get the Christmas stuff in and out was my bike. And, and I was looking at my bike, and, and, and I, I have a bike, and it's a nice bike, and it's easy to ride, and, and I push down on it, and both tires are flat, and, and you know there's dust all over it. How much good is my bike doing me? Well, you could argue that getting it in and out of the shed to get the Christmas decorations every year is some exercise. <laughs> Having it is doing me no good, Right? It's only as I use it, it's only as I do something with it, if I get on and, and pump up the tires and, and go somewhere with it, that it makes a difference. So this morning, I want to talk about wading into God's Word. Where do we go with it? Things that I hear sometimes is, how do I get started? Where do I start reading? How do I discipline myself to read God's Word? A common thing that I hear is, I, I read it and it doesn't make any sense to me. I put it down, I've done the reading that you've suggested, and I know nothing more about God than I did before. It just makes no sense. Anyone ever felt that? You don't have to raise your hands. I would bet all of us at times have felt that way as we've gone to God's Word, and, and there's a number of reasons for that. But how do I put this into practice? And I'd like to start with a place that you, you, may, be, you may think is weird to start with. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives. The wives are going, oh, I'm glad he's going there this morning. This is awesome. Praise God for God's Word. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, 
Key phrase. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. Great passage. Great passage about marriage, about husbands loving their wives. But a couple of things that I want you to take note there. Verse 25, the phrase, love your wives. And then just as, and and Paul here then goes on to give an example of what it means to love your wife. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm going to pick out a couple of different things. We're not going to look at every part of this passage because it includes the idea of sacrifice, of giving ourselves up for our wives, men, being willing to die for them, being willing to protect them. But then we, we forget to read on in verse 26 to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water. What's the next phrase? Through the word. Through the word. And we see here two examples, one of Christ in the church, that he's given his word to cleanse, to wash, to make us holy as a church. But don't forget the just as. The just as say this is part of a husband loving his wife. Dad's starting to get a little uncomfortable now. Husbands. Part of loving our wives is to bring the word into our homes to bring the Word of God to apply to real life and in so doing, help our wives walk with God. This is not only an example of Christ in the church, this is an example of husbands leading their homes spiritually and standing up and being men and saying, I love my wife, I love my family, and part of that is protecting them by bringing in the Word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And again in verse 28, we see that same phrase. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. We're not just responsible for ourselves. He who loves his wife loves himself. But then in verse 29, After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it as Christ does the church. And I read that, and for men, that's a challenge to you. That's a challenge. Are you feeding your wife? We talk a lot about caring for our wives and loving them and, and all these things, all these seminars and how to, and those are wonderful things. We need to be loving our wives. But are we feeding them? And he's not talking food here, although there's other verses that talk about providing. But he is talking spiritually. Our job is to feed our families. Spiritually. The phrase or the idea that I like to use is men, every one of you is the pastor of your home. You're the pastor of your home. I could say Pastor Jacob or Pastor Ken. I could could say that because God has, has given that responsibility. And I'm intentionally not using words of authority because here the the focus is responsibility. This is a a weight. Yes, he's given authority as well, but here it's about being responsible to do this. And that is a scary thing. 
You are the representative of God in your homes. And it's not an issue of do I want to do this? It's an issue of obedience. It's an issue of obedience. Now I understand, as I've talked with men and and, and mentored men and, and come alongside men, and I understand as I've tried to put this into practice in my own home that this is hard. And again, I'm wading in where, where angels fear to tread. And I'm wading in where, where men, I know many of you, feel such a sense of failure. And you're like, okay, he's hitting us again with something I still don't know how to do. That's not my goal. That's not my goal this morning, but to say, let's stand together. Let's come alongside and let's have a renewed call that as men, we need to be knowing God's Word and standing up for God's Word. There are a number of aspects of being a spiritual leader. Living for God, loving God passionately, and bringing God's Word home. And that's the one I want to focus on today. And in a a moment, I'll I'll give some ideas and explain some ways that that can be put into practice. But men, can we do that? And I know we have a number of young men here that aren't married yet. Junior high and up, I think, are still in the sanctuary this morning. This is your chance to start practicing this. You don't ignore this your whole life and then suddenly on your wedding day become a great spiritual leader. You become a spiritual leader now by being in God's Word and practicing these things and being faithful to God's Word. What you do in high school, what you do in college, will define the spiritual tone of your marriage. Don't forget that. Now some of you may, may be at a point where you're like, well, I, I've never done this before. Never done this before. We've been married 30 years. Then today's a great chance to start. Because guys, a secret, I get to talk to a lot of wives in, in, in working as a pastor as well. I have never yet had one wife say, I don't want my husband to be a spiritual leader. I'm not talking percentages. I'm talking never. I have never had a wife say that. And I've had many, many wives say, oh, that would be wonderful. That would be wonderful. And so it's something our wives want us to do. It's something that today we can go down that path. But wives, let me talk to you for a moment. Don't throw anything. (laughs) Oftentimes, your response is the make or break moment of whether your husband will continue his efforts. I had one husband in my office in tears. And and he said, Ron, I I just don't know how to do this. I'm I'm trying some of these things. I've been trying for two, three days now. And last night, my wife said, well, I wonder how long it's going to last this time. <laughs> and it was like a warning bell going off. <laughs> I 
It's great. And how long do you think that lasted for that family? That was it. That was the last night. And, and this is an area where I believe families are falling apart in a church because we haven't stepped up and followed the roles that God has asked us to do. That men have not stepped up, and so women are frustrated and trying to fill the gap and feeling alone in doing that. And it ought not to be. And so there's some things that we can do. Wives, this is an opportunity to be as encouraging as possible. But don't gush. Because at the same time, if your husband starts making efforts in this, and you're like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever, and you go on for ten minutes, he'll be like, she's faking. This is ridiculous. This is a little embarrassing. Don't gush, just enjoy and encourage. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. I got a lot out of that today. Or I really appreciate it when you do that. Wives, it's not the time as well to go home and and to go home this afternoon and say, did you hear Pastor Ron? It's time for you to start doing this. And that will be the end. And that'll be it. Do you see where I'm going with this? Men, it's time to stand up Women, it's time to applaud and to encourage. There will be times where things get busy and life gets busy and guys, you will feel like, man, I am not doing what I should be doing in this area. There's times I feel that. There's times that I'm out so many evenings and and we're just rushing here and there and, and we have to regroup and say, okay, hasn't been going as well as it should be. And apologize and move on. But if we let the prospect of failing stop us from ever ever trying, then we've already failed. And this is too important. This is too important to the family, to the core of who we are as a church, to the core of what Christianity should be. It's too important to let go. Wives, if you have a husband that doesn't do this, I would encourage you to say something like, Honey, I respect you as the head of the home. Is there anything you would like me to do to help you bring God's Word into the home? And then drop it and never mention it again. And be sure you're studying on your own. Getting the kids into God's Word through nighttime stories, through afternoon activities, But badgering will never accomplish the encouragement that your husband needs. Husbands, I'd like to stand with you. Men of all ages, I'd like to stand with you. And as a church, we'd like to band together to be men of the sword. To be men that are willing to bring God's Word into the home. And this doesn't negate that everyone should be studying God's Word, but I'm talking in a family setting this morning. And so in, in the coming weeks, in next week's worship folder, there will be an opportunity where you could submit either your email address or Facebook, whichever one you would prefer. And I know as, as a pastoral staff and um, some of the leaders of the church, we'd like to just two, three times a week send out some ideas. 
Just to men. Sorry, women, if you sign up, you won't be put on the list. It's just for, for men to be men of the sword. Some ideas about, about being in God's Word, how to bring God's Word into the home, some encouragement that we can stand together. Because at Village, we stand for God's Word. And we stand that God's Word should be in the home. And men, we stand that you are the pastors of your home. And we will do everything within our power to help make that possible. Some ideas for men. If you've never done this before, if you've never thought, okay, how do I bring God's Word into the home? The, the, the important part of being a spiritual leader is to initiate. What it does not mean is that you do all the work yourself. You got that? And that's a mistaken idea of leadership that, oh, if I'm leading my home spiritually, then everything comes from me. Actually, that's a very poor form of leadership. Being a spiritual leader of your home means you initiate it, you're responsible to make that happen, but you include your family in the process. Some of your wives have studied God's Word and know God's Word like you wouldn't believe. So initiate and say, what are your thoughts on this? Enjoy the fact that your wife may know more about a passage than you do. What an asset to a family. But by initiating, you are leading. But also be studying on your own. Don't use that as, as a crutch. Dads, as well, when we're solving this or when we're trying to go down this path, be flexible. Be flexible. You may have to try ten different ways before you find something that works for your wife and your family. Growing up, we always had family devotions right after dinner. That doesn't work in my home now. Sometimes I'm there, sometimes I'm not. The kids are just in a unique state after dinner and, and we're trying to get cleaned up. And, and so, so what we do, <laughs> a good state, unique can be good. <laughs> and so what we do is we, we've moved that to right before bedtime. And you know what? We're not having deep theological discussions of passages with my six, four, and three-year-old. We have found a couple of children's Bibles with great pictures, and we are, are reading those right before we go to bed as part of our nighttime reading routine. Sometimes we do that with everyone together. Sometimes we do it apart. Flexibility is okay. F figure out what works. Sometimes we pray together at that point. Sometimes we go to each of their beds and pray, depending on how the evening's going. We've chosen to include some singing in that. And so each night we sing a couple songs together and the kids get to choose. Often we do that separately in their beds because they all choose different songs. And Alicia, it's usually Jesus Loves Me. The boys, it's usually Amazing Grace and Holy Fire, which is Empty Me, but they call it Holy Fire. And right now, those are the songs we sing all night. And, and those change, and we sing other songs. And, and But it's, it's just bringing God's Word into everyday life. And I don't say that that's the way you have to do it either, but I'm trying to share ideas to say, these are some ways that it works for us. There are nights I'm not home before the kids go to bed. And that's hard. But then Susie does that with them. And Susie, Susie brings them along. But we're also flexible to know that after Awana... It's late, they're tired, and they go to bed. <laughs> and, and so it's, it's not something that we need to be legalistic about, but how 
do we bring God's word into everyday life? Find creative ways. There's all kinds of options. Other families I, knew do, I know do other things. You know, and sometimes, sometimes we blow it. I got in trouble the other night for my wife. No, trouble's probably not the right word. She just chatted with me afterwards. <laughs> because right at bedtime, we're going through the story, and one of the stories I thought would be great to act out. <laughs> All the moms are like, oh, you didn't. All the dads are going, that is an awesome idea. And so I had the kids up, and we're acting it out, and running around, and and then it was time for bed. (laughs) And that didn't go so well. Um, I guess they get wound up. Um, Laugh about things like that. Say, okay, let's try something different. Let's try something different. That didn't work out for us. They remember the story. Men, do you hear me, though? Do you hear me? It's time. It's time to stand up and be counted. It's time to say, I'm going to change my family. I'm going to change their lives forever. Just in in five minutes, let me go through the rest of the notes. (laughs) Knew this would happen this morning. I just give some ideas for, okay, for anyone, not just a family getting into God's Word, but for anyone getting in God's Word, how do we make this happen? How do we help ourselves? And, and I have an acronym called REAP there that you've seen on the rooted readings, and you could also make it real and change the P to an L for, for loving God's Word instead of, of praying, but it's sort of the same thing. The first aspect of that is start by reading God's Word, just reading it. Taking a section and reading it for what it is. A large enough section that you can understand it, but small enough that you can remember it. But as you do that, I would encourage you to start with prayer. In 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, we read, But God has revealed it to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So if we're struggling to understand God's Word and get anything out of it, we need to start with prayer and say, Holy Spirit, I need your help. I need your help. We can be all academic and pull apart every word, and and I know I've been down that road, and it can still be meaningless. Because the Holy Spirit is who brings meaning. And as you read in the first step, write down questions, thoughts, things you notice. Just observe things about the passage. question I hear a lot of times is, well, where do I start? What book is the best for me to start in? There's ideas. My, My first point is start somewhere. Just jump in. Wade in. Start somewhere. If If you're new to Bible reading, I encourage you to start with one of the Gospels. Start with the life of Christ. Immerse yourself into who Jesus Christ is. If, if you're looking for, for some teaching, go to the epistles, and James might be a good place to start. The Old Testament has wonderful narratives and prophecy. Psalms and Proverbs, I know, is popular to incorporate into reading. But start somewhere. 
For us, we're going through the rooted reading, and and every month you get a bookmark of places to start. And I know some of you started in January, and you're like, we started with Job. (laughs) Heard that probably ten times already. Sorry. It's just where we were in the passage. And I know Job is depressing. It doesn't end depressing. But it's it's the, the process of a man discovering dependence on God instead of self. It's a picture of a man who is living not my will, but yours be done. So don't ignore Job. It's a wonderful book. But that's a great place to start. I was talking with someone else that that is just starting, and so they started with our Rooted Readings January last year, which starts with Genesis and Matthew. There's all kinds of other reading plans online. But start somewhere. How often? I recommend daily. We like to eat daily. It's good to eat spiritually daily. But, but here's the thing. If you miss a day, don't, don't guilt yourself into stopping. Just pick it up the next day and eat again from God's Word. For your family, if you're not doing anything spiritually as a family, try starting with maybe three or four nights a week. Start with something that, that's doable but incorporated into your family life. Let's start by reading God's Word. The E of reap is to examine God's Word, digging deeper. If you're using the observation, interpretation, application model, this is the interpretation. Dig in. Find out what it means. Some great tools that you can use is, I recommend every home have a study Bible. And if you just, as you read through God's Word, read all the notes in your study Bible and read the articles and maybe some of the cross-references... That would make the Bible so much more understandable right there. You don't need a degree. You don't need to go to class. Start using some of these tools. Like I said earlier, reading in two different versions can help you understand what it means. Ask questions about it. The reason our reading program is over two years instead of one year is to take smaller sections so we can process it more. So you can ask questions. So we can go deeper into it. Go further and pick a verse out of that and memorize it or personalize it. Sometimes it's helpful to take a verse and to rewrite it with with your name in everywhere where it would apply. And suddenly the same verse can can be alive and, and full of new meaning. Another way to go deeper and understand God's Word is to to meditate on it. Which means simply you keep thinking about it all day. Or, or ruminating on it and, and, and chewing it all day. And maybe it means writing a verse on an index card and putting it in your car dashboard. Well, okay, somewhere where you can read it and not while you're driving. Maybe on your phone, putting it as one of your notes. Maybe put it as your status on, on Facebook. Somewhere where you'll see it all day. Because there's something about just thinking through a passage all day and letting the Holy Spirit work that will bring it alive. See, if we're struggling that God's Word is not alive and meaningful, the issue isn't God's Word. The issue is something in our own lives that we need to change to be receptive to that. The A stands for apply. Apply. How will you be different because of what you have just read? In a recent Rasmussen poll... 50% of people in the U.S. said life would be better if more Americans lived as Christians. 
Think about that. 50% said life would be better if more Americans lived as Christians. The scary part of the poll is two years ago they asked the same question and it was 61%. And in two years, 11% dropped off saying that life would be better if people lived as Christians. And that tells me that we're not living in America as Christians. That we're not showing people what it would be like if we followed Christ. We're not applying God's Word. See, the danger as you get into God's Word is it can become an academic exercise. And it can be about knowledge. And knowledge does not equal maturity. Maturity in God's Word is measured by application. How do we put it into practice? Application assumes that there's knowledge and understanding. But when we look at Hebrews 5, 14, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. In James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately forgets what he looks like. Rumpled hair and all. But the man who looks intently in the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in all he does. You are never done growing. When I hear phrases sometimes like, well, I'm too mature for that, or I'm beyond that, that's a guarantee that there's a maturity issue. We are never done growing and learning from God's Word. Not one of us in this room knows everything there is to know about this book and has put it into perfect practice. Another way to dig deeper as we end is community, community, community. Are you talking with people about it? Are you doing reading with other people? Are you sharing thoughts of what God is teaching you? Do we have close friends that we can share specific prayer requests and convictions? Generally, are we sharing with the church? And finally, the last letter in REAP, the P, is to pray that that God will help you apply it to your life. To fall in love with God's Word like you've never loved it before. That only happens as you do it. You don't start by loving every bit of it. It's a discipline at first. But the more you do it, the more you love it. I'd like to end with a song this morning that Josh is going to sing. It's called Word of God Speak. And as he sings, think through, am I going to let God's Word speak to me in my life? Men, am I going to stand up and be a man of the sword? Stand for God's Word and do something with it. God's Word is powerful. It is alive. May we not neglect it. I'm finding myself at a loss for words And the funny thing is It's okay The last thing I need Is to be heard But to hear What you would say 
word of God speak? Would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty? To be still and know that you're in this place, and please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. Finding myself in the midst of you, beyond the music, beyond the noise, and all that I need is to be with you, and in the quiet, hear your voice, the word of God speak, would you pour down Washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God, speak. Would you pour down like rain? Washing my eyes to see your to be still and know you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. I'm finding myself at a loss for words. And the funny thing is, it's okay. Lord God, our Father, may we be people of the sword, people of your word. That all this information about the Bible would not keep us from studying the Bible, but would inspire us and encourage us to dig in, to start somewhere, to be consistent, to find meaning in life that you would have us find. Lord, this morning I I pray that each one of us would be that person that would be feeding ourselves out of Your Word, not relying on books or sermons or whatever it would be, but feeding ourselves as we learn and study God's Word. Lord, this morning I too pray for the men in this room. Lord, I pray that we would have the courage to stand up and take the responsibility that You have commanded and You have instructed Lord, that we would change the face of our families in a culture where family is falling apart. And that we would stand and say, our home will be centered on God's Word. Lord, may we have the courage to do that. I pray for the young men in this room as well, that you would already be making them men of the Word that they would be setting patterns that you would bless in their homes for many, many years to come. Lord, give them in the strength to persist even when schedules get busy, even when discouragements come. 
And Lord, may we stand together and encourage one another. Thank you for your word, Lord God, that it is alive and powerful and divides to the heart. May it change our lives. In your name, amen.